This is the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. Is the tax man going to war against cryptos? South African Revenue Services clearly believes one of the most popular ways to hide your wealth is in cryptos. This week it was announced that the three largest crypto exchanges in South Africa had been approached to provide the tax agency with details about certain customers. And after consulting with their legal counsel, the exchanges decided to supply SARS with the information it requested. Now, one crypto company that will definitely not be sharing customer information with the tax agency, either here in South Africa or anywhere in the world for that matter, is Stratum, which has taken a very hardline position on this. The only information Stratum customers are required to provide is an email address. Other than that, they don't even want to know your name. Stratum does not want to be seen as an agency of law enforcement or tax collection and has structured its affairs internationally so that its head office is based in Hong Kong. If you do like they try to do in exchanges in China and Nigeria, for example, where they cut ties to the banking sector, that won't work with Stratum either. It is a crypto-to-crypto exchange, so there are no fiat on-ramps. In other words, you have to own crypto first before you can, can become a customer. Joining us to discuss this and whether crypto should remain anonymous, as Bitcoin's mysterious founder Satoshi Nakamoto believe they should, is Stratum's founder and CEO Rochella Lopez, who is, to put it mildly, a crypto purist. That is, a believer in the sovereign individual and a firm supporter in financial independence and anonymity. Hi, Rochella, you're joining us from Brazil. Let's keep that location a little bit of a mystery for the moment because I'll explain why a little bit later. But Stratum has been a bit of a rebel company from the very beginning. For example, you don't even do know your customer or KYC verifications on any of your customer. And you said you never will. Just explain to people who are listening, why is that? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me here today. It's it's good to talk about it. And especially when it comes to privacy and then when it comes to uh, freedom and uh, what uh, crypto was uh, meant for. Uh, yeah, and any right. Uh, for me, uh, it's about privacy. And then if you have a look on the white paper from Satoshi Nakamoto, Everything over there is saying about privacy. And if everything about crypto, and then the name itself says everything, cryptography, crypto. So meaning you are uh, encrypting your money. If you are looking to something like that, why the hell are you sending to an exchange a copy of passport, a copy of ID, uh, selfie holding your details on it, and why you want to share that information with an exchange or even the government. Well, the government should not have that information. That is completely wrong when it comes to the cryptocurrency uh, uh, sphere. So, yeah, doesn't matter where in the world. If Hong Kong decides to say from now on everyone has to do it, I will move to another country. And then if that country starts to do the same thing, I will keep moving, I will keep moving. Then one day, I just want to have any country. And I will be on the internet, the land of freedom, with no rules, with no one telling me what to do, how to do, and serving people that what they want. Uh, what they want is privacy. Uh, so in that case, in that scenario, I don't want to know your name. And and that's supposed to remain like that. Why should I know your name if you just want to trade cryptocurrency and then you don't want the other part also to know your name? So this is exactly what is in Satoshi Nakamoto white paper. Part A should not know or trust on a part B and the transaction can happen, can exchange without one part knowing each other or trusting in other parts. So that's exactly what it is. I'm just faithful to what the white paper are saying. And that being said, 
Well, the South African uh, authorities can say you should know that information. I go, well, then go to the bank and then ask the bank because for any user to buy cryptocurrencies, he needs a bank account and transfer to someone that relied to him the cryptocurrency. So that's what it is. So why don't you go and investigate the bank? Why don't you go and ask the bank? Maybe the banker is too powerful for you. Could be. We don't know. But when it comes to crypto to crypto, it doesn't matter where. I will never ask. I will never ask to anyone in the world to provide any document. Were you surprised to learn this week that South African Revenue Services had approached the big crypto exchanges in South Africa asking about certain customer information? To be honest, I saw that long ago. On 2015, when I was the first time invited to speak in our parliament here in Brazil with a bunch of um, congressmen, senators and authorities, I saw that coming. And then it happened the same thing when the first time that was being asked to talk with the Hawks in South Africa, that was the same. I saw that coming and then I saw that will come sometime because the government, let's face it, what's going on in the entire world right now. Most of the countries, they are printing money. Well, the bill will come for sure. And how do they got money to pay all the, their bills and then the money that they are printing? Simple tax. And for sure, I saw that coming. And then I just prepare uh, ourselves. So before that come, we decided to restructure the whole thing in a company. And right before that happened, two years actually, I think before that happened, we already prepared. Right now, I was just waiting till that comes. Uh, well, I was expecting to come a little, maybe next year, when the bill to this entire printing money madness is, uh, 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 come. And, but I was, I was not saying like, wow, but I was surprised was with the company saying, yes, yes, here you go. Here's all the information. Come on. Don't be a coward. Fight for it. If you just say, here we go, all the information, you must to fight. It's not because the authority is asking that you just have to swallow that. You have to understand it's our right to be to have privacy, It's especially in South Africa. South Africa, we have a history over there of um, too much power from the government. We need the freedom. We need that, uh, that privacy. So I was expecting the companies over there fight a little bit, but no. Here we go. Yeah, whatever you guys need. So I was I was surprised with the 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 the, the exchanges, but I was not surprised for from SARS to jump on these things. Right. I spoke to your representative here in South Africa, Carmen Potchita, and she told me that you also consulted, obviously, with your lawyers, and you consult with them quite frequently in South Africa about this kind of thing. What if SARS were to come to you and ask for information about your customers and your viewpoint is? Your legal advice is, she tells me, absolutely, we don't have uh, the obligation to hand over any information to SARS. So it does seem that there's a, a contradictory information coming out. Uh, what do you say to that? Well, it's pretty much simple. Let's understand something. We have uh, some payment gateways partners over there in South Africa. So when we need, when the user wants to get a crypto, our business partner over there we let us know, well, the money is here. We can credit their money in our platform so they can do trades. The user that transfer money inside South Africa, all the information is inside the bank. So the bank who transfer money from that account to the, our business partner account over there, they have all the information. That on the fiat information, because no one's going to walk in in a bank with, a, with two bags of rands and then say, hey, I want to buy crypto. That doesn't work like that. And all the, all the, the, the bills are going to be, uh, put on a system. So they will know everything. So there is already a KYC on the bank. 
So it's pretty much simple. Let's face one thing. Who is the responsible for the money? The bank. So let them do the KYC. Bank to bank, we do the KYC. So if someone in ABSA transfer money to our business partner and he has a bank account also in ABSA, so ABSA knows our business partner over there and also knows the client that is transferring the money. So it's everything inside ABSA. So if ABSA come to, to, to anyone and say, well, I don't know the source of the money. Why not? You provide the bank account. Same thing for FNB, same thing for Standard Bank, same thing for CapTech, same thing, same thing for, uh, uh, for the other banks. So we are choosing business partner, local partners, which they will just uh, uh, receive from that particular bank inside that particular bank. So there is no um, outside banking transaction. So FNB is the same inside the FNB and so on. That being said, so then if the clients find another way to buy cryptocurrency in the local market and then transfer to us, it is the obligation of that person to do whatever he, he wants to do. But then, then let's say, for example, on that scenario, like you said, well, if happen, if the authorities come to us and say, you must provide, well, we are not based in Hong Kong. We're not based in South Africa. We are based in Hong Kong. All the transaction is not happening in South African soil. It's happening on the internet so for a company that is registered in Hong Kong. Then there is nothing that I can provide. And there is no such a law saying, that I need to get, I need to verify, I need to do this, to do this and to do that. There is no such a law. If they come with the law, all right, great. So then we we, we want to follow that. If they say, well, from now on, if any crypto uh, uh, company wants to deal with uh, South Africans, must be registered in a country. All right, so then we're just going to serve anyone overseas and any South Africa wants to come to our platform, they're more than welcome to come. So we are looking out the possibilities to say, we're not going to break any law. I just going to, for sure, I will be everything by the board. I'm not going to break any law in South Africa, especially because I love South Africa. I want to go to South Africa and then not go to jail. I want to go to South Africa to enjoy. So I'm not going to break any law and make sure. And every time when the Hawks ask us to talk, we've been there. We've been helping. When the banks ask uh, the whole knowledge that we have, we've been there. We help them. Uh, Carmen, the one she's there, she's the representative of the company over there. She's being helped banks. She's being helped authorities. So we are not going to allow someone to use our platform to do something illegal. But of course, I will make sure whoever is transferring money to getting crypto from one of our business partners that in South Africa will be inside that particular bank to not be able to say someone from Standard Bank transfer to a business partner in an ABSA. Let's keep everybody in, same, in the same house so then the bank has no excuse to say, well, we don't know where the money comes from. As for the authorities, if they want to say, I want to get all the trades for all the South African users, feel free to contact the government in Hong Kong and ask them. If they come to us and say, you have to handle the information to the government in South Africa, well, definitely we do. If they don't do that, sorry, we're not going to provide any information just because you are the SARS. Okay, regulators all over the world are making quite aggressive noises about cryptos. Where do you think this ends up? Are we losing the battle for cryptos to remain anonymous or is there still some light at the end of this tunnel? Let me tell something. I really don't think it is actually the authorities doing that or the regulators is doing that. I think it's the big corporations driving the regulators to do that. And the big banks are saying, shit, we are losing this battle. Damn, we are not doing this. Those guys are, are taking our clients out. The clients that is investing in shares and in, 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 
in the stock market, the clients that is investing in the bullshit investments that they provide, they are losing those guys to the crypto market. So then I think those guys, those guys are going to the regulators and then say, you guys should have a look on that. Because let's face it, don't you think the CEO of ABSA, the CEO of FNB, we're not going to sit with the guy from SARS and then we're going to sit with the guy from the, the Reserve Bank of South Africa and have a coffee and play golf with them and tell them, listen, guys, you guys better do this. So they have the power to do that. But of course, the regulators all over the world are going to be pressured by those big corporations and then do something. And you know what's going to happen with them? They will get, I'm sorry, so if there is any kid listening to this thing right now, please stop to list this. If the regulators start to go follow this thing and then try to stop this thing, they will get so fucked because they're not going to be able to stop. There is no way to stop this. If they want to stop, simple, shut down the entire internet and then good. The reason that I'm saying that, all right, if they regulate, let's say, if they decide to regulate like uh, Binance or Bitfinex or even us, then we decide, say, you know what? From now on, I'm not going to be registered in any country. It's going to be a website and an internet dot crypto, for instance, that is not controlled by any institution. It is uh, using a new protocol on the internet that I don't have to register on my website. I don't have to put my name. I don't have to do anything. Then it's going to be a special browser for that, like such as Brave that is doing that right now. And then there we go. So then I have my platform not registered with any government, with no one. So then there we go. Then we're going to do that over there. Who they're going to go after to? They, they don't know who the owner of the exchange. They don't know who's behind the exchange. They don't know the clients that is dealing on the exchange. So, Mr. Regulators, instead of you to try to, uh, to try to stop us because the bankers, they are telling you what to do, join us. Fight the bankers instead to be on the, on the bank side because their money is about to end. Our money is just starting. All right, so what do you say to those who are operating in the crypto space that cooperate with the authorities in handing over customer information? What's your message to them? Well, my message to them is, remember, Satoshi Nakamoto gave us a powerful thing. And listen, all the guys in South Africa, I know them very well. I know the, the guys from Altcoin Trades. I know the guys from Valor. I know them very well. And uh, I do like them. I, I, I really like what they are doing. But my message to them, guys, come on. You guys are together. Let's fight this. Let's tell the regulators to say, go to ABSA, go to FNB, go, go to Standard Bank. Stop the laundry money. Stop the bad money on the search, on the next, on the next. Do that because that's what the problem is. The problem is not on the crypto platform. The problem is not there. The problem it is where the money starts and then where the money starts on a bank account. Someone went in the bank, visited the manager, spoke with the bank manager to transfer that kind of money to the bank. So if the, all those guys, they get together and they tell the regulator, you, we're not going to do that. And then if you, if you keep trying to, we move to other country. Then we're just going to tell all the South Africans to find a way to get and trade over there. And we're going to be putting billboards on the airport. We're going to do this. We're going to fight that. If we do not fight, then what kind of freedom are we looking? What kind of financial freedom are we looking? So my message to them, guys, we, sh we should push a little bit. I'll give them a little bit of more hard, hard time than what you guys are doing. Just handling that just because you guys want to stay in the market? Come on. I think Satoshi Nakamoto is not proud of what you guys are doing. Okay, what do you say to those people who claim that cryptos, especially those hiding behind anonymous cryptos like Monero, for example, that that encourages criminality? What do you say to them? 
Well, what I can say is, uh, what is the criminality? There is a coin already to do that. There is a really a good coin for whoever want to do anything, any, any criminal activity. It's called a US dollar. That's the coin that's been used for many, many years and no one is stopped. As we can see, be for sure. It is the same way if someone get a knife, can I kill someone with a knife? Yes, I can. So then we're going to stop to manufacture knives? No, no, we're not going to do that. So it's the same thing. If you just check the amount of our criminality activity using cryptocurrency, it's so small, so small. Come on, go fight someone that has a illegal gun, someone that is, is selling drugs on the street. Go after that. Get on the source where the problem starts. And the problem always starts with a piece of paper printed with a colorful way. That's where the, the problem start. You stop the printer, then you're going to see a few problems going away. Then you stop to go after things that is not there. And most important, I mean, I'm always saying that, the most important part, get a very good education, financial education to people that own, like, on, when they start going to the school. Then you're going to see the difference in 50 years' time. Then you don't have to be worried about laundry money. You don't have to be worried criminal activities with cryptocurrency. Talking about criminality, I want to bring up a story here that goes back to 2018. And this is a very personal story for you. And this made international news, so it, it's not a secret. But your wife was kidnapped in Brazil after dropping off your daughter at school. And the, and the kidnappers were waiting. They, they took her, apparently, a 10-hour drive to Sao Paulo. They demanded about $50 million from you. And they wanted to be paid in Monero and Zcash because those couldn't be traceable. Tell us a little bit about that story, if you don't mind, and how that ended up. Well, yeah, definitely. It's, um, it was really bad uh, on that time. It was very complicated because uh, having someone that you love and uh, being taken away from you and being and those guys asking for for money and then asking for something that uh, I defend with so much passion and is something for me which is really really important so then let's face it I was fighting against something that I like that uh, something that I really defend with all my guts and everything so it was very complicated but yeah she was kidnapped in a, where we live here in an island and um she was dropping my daughter at the school. And then those guys, they was waiting for her on the corner and uh, they took her. They drove her all the way to Sao Paulo. It was a 10 hours drive. As they were getting in Sao Paulo, they phoned me and find, they contacted me and they said, we have your wife and uh, we want uh, this amount of money in Monero and Zcash. When I did the calculation, I was like, come on, there is no such a, uh, amount of money in the market for those coins. At first, to be very honest, at first, when they first called me and they said they have my wife, I just hung up, like, come on, go try that with someone else, not with me. But and then they call again, they send me a picture with her, and then I saw that was like something serious. So then they started to to call me, and uh, they said the whole thing, saying that they were going to kill her, they were going to rape her, they were going to cut her. And I was saying, like, relax, uh, relax. Uh, but first, let me explain. We don't have that amount of crypto in the market. It's going to be hard. It's a labor day. It's a holiday here in Brazil. And also was my daughter's uh, a birthday. So it's a, uh, the whole family was at home. And I was trying to hide for the family because to not worry them. I, I was hiding that for my daughter. It was very complicated because I was not going back home. I was working and then trying to deal with the whole situation. And then they keep calling, keep calling and asking for and asking and asking, asking for, 
for this cryptocurrency and all that. So it was very, very, very difficult to deal with that. Then finally, then the police also was another problem because the, the police, they never heard about such a thing. And then they didn't know what cryptocurrency was back then. And I had to explain to our Hawks version here, we call the federal police here. I have to explain to them, I have to, to explain to the state police that was the leading the investigation. So I was dealing with all that and explain to someone that the kind of money that they asked could not be traceable. I even called some miners. I called the guys from Monero. I called the guys from, uh, uh, from Zcash. I spoke with Zuko and I told them, guys, I will might need your help in case I have to pay this thing. And then for sure, we need to trace it. And I was working with everybody at the same time to try to make sure everything is going to be fine. After four days, the police managed to find where they were and they were able to get her without me paying anything uh, to anyone. So they managed to get her like she was in shock, of course. And later on, the, the police started to do a full investigation and then how that happened and all that. So one of the like few guys, um, one of the guys, I think, was got killed by the police because they were like um, uh, the police was chasing him and then he like shoot the police and then the police killed the guy. But here's a, something, Ryan, that was it's completely was amazing because when the police got the guys and few guys, the police was investigating how that happened. And finally, when the police told me the way he started the whole thing, one day, one guy that worked for a bank where I had a bank account on that bank, he was in a bribe with few guys and someone mentioned something about cryptocurrency on that bribe. This guy that worked at the bank said, you know, the number one guy in Brazil related to cryptocurrency has a bank account in my branch where I worked. And I saw him a couple of times over there. Look how the things, everything started. It started on the single conversation, a simple conversation that the guy that worked, used to work in a bank that I have a bank account, share my information with them. Then they start to study us for nine months. They rent the house in front of my house. They was checking our pattern, our the, where we go and everything. Was in a total 20 guys involved on this kidnapping. And they investigate us for nine months before they actually do the whole thing. So you see, because someone shared information that they should not have, then yeah. everything happened. So that was, but was everything was fine. Then after she was released, like for a couple of months, was complicated. We changed our lifestyle. Like like now, my daughter has a bodyguard. My son has a bodyguard. Uh, we uh, only drive a bulletproof car with a bodyguard twenty four seven. So our life changed a little bit, but it was really, really, really bad. Your wife was unharmed. Is that right? She was unharmed. Nothing happened with her. She was fine. But until today, I'm still facing the whole, I mean, everything. And people say, you should be the first one to fight for a regulation. No, no. I will be fighting against a bad regulation. And I will fight against sharing information that uh, the government should not have, the bank should not have. Because that's, that's what it is, to protect us. And it's an interesting point you make. That leak of information to criminals came from somebody in a bank who knew you, knew your name, and knew what business you were in. That's all they needed. And they were able to, to then monitor your movements for nine months and then kidnap your wife. Yeah, that was, that's, you see, 
It's just because information that they should not have. Let's say, for example, let's say if the bank does not know where I live. Let's say if the bank does not know my full name. Let's say they, they only like, well, yeah, I know that guy because whatever, but if they don't have that information, it's going to be, well, that's fine. They can still try to track me. They, they, there is a lot of information. But if the guy does not have, he cannot provide. And again, I cannot provide to SARS something that I don't have. If I do not have the user's name, how can I provide it? If I do not have his address, how can I provide it? That simple. If they don't have it, there is no way to provide. And here's the most important and then the funny part. For address and everything, all, everything like that, everyone today has a mobile. That mobile is registered on a, like a South Africa network, Vodacom, and any one over there. That device, you can, the authority can know where that person is 24-7. I really do not understand why do we have to share our personal information with a bank, with the other bank, with the financial institution, with that one, with that one, with that one, when all they need is just saying, listen, I have a mobile, which is, is it's required FICA in South Africa, and that's it. That's instrument, that mobile, that device knows more than your life than anyone in the world. So why not just have one single point of verification and that single point of verification be monitored by the government and only the government and a special government that will make sure we will protect your privacy. We have the solution out there, but they don't want that solution. Yeah, you've got FICA and, and of course what you're talking about there is the RICA laws. That's where you have to register your, um, your cell phone. Yeah. Um, so you monitor both by the banks and by the cell phone companies. Okay, so just tying this all together, the, the fact that you, you had this very uh, traumatic personal experience uh, in your family and the position that you've taken, they're not sort of incompatible positions. You know, you, you've decided that you're going to take a very hard stance on this. Was it informed, in fact, by what happened to you personally or was that something you decided even before this kidnapping happened? No, it was way before. Uh, since I'm 14, I'm 50 now. But since I was 14, uh, always fighting for freedom, for privacy, even before cryptography. And when I was working with uh, my company with telecommunications, I was uh, finding a way to people to talk between each other uh, without someone uh, listening, about someone taking advantage on that. I am passionate about privacy. And most people, they think privacy meaning I'm doing something wrong. No, that is nothing to do with that. Privacy meaning I don't want people to find out what I'm doing. I don't want to share what I'm doing. And some people that they have a great idea and maybe some competitor is looking, maybe some competitor going to pay a lot of money to hack your mobile. So privacy is about that. It's about how can I protect myself? And here's something why, especially when it comes to money, why this is so important. Let's say for the South African audience, let's say tomorrow the amount of money the South African government printed was way too much. Now they need to somehow to control the, the economy. Somehow they need to get money. And then now they know every single one that has crypto because the, the crypto uh, companies over there share with them. And then they decide to pass a law saying that everyone that holds crypto was going to be, uh, has to transfer to the, the, the government this amount of crypto or 20% of the amount of crypto that they have. That's it. If they pass a law and then they say, if you don't do it and they have the record, doesn't matter you already spent the money. Who cares? They don't care if you already spent the money. They don't care if you lost the money already. They will say, well, we want 30% of the cryptos that you have. 
what are we going to do? There is nothing that you can do because they, they make that thing illegal. So that's the thing. I don't want, and then just because a, a new government came and then they decide, like a few guys, they got together and they say, well, let's all the South Africans and that's it. Done. Let's say, well, nothing against Julius Malema, but let's say Malema decides to say, you know what? Let's say tomorrow Malema become the president because there is no option in South Africa for someone. And then he become the president and they say, you know what? From now on, everybody that holds crypto, 40% belong to the government because I want to split that money between all my wives. Then that's it. Then we screwed. So that is the reason that we need to protect ourselves because we don't, I don't know what kind of president is going to be tomorrow. I don't know what kind of congressman is going to be there tomorrow. And if I want to just go away of South Africa and I don't want to live in South Africa anymore, great. I'll take my money with me and I will just leave. And the other thing is, uh, again, to protect us. If we share that information, let's say now one Bitcoin is worth it, I don't know, maybe 500,000 rands, all right? Then let's say you only have two Bitcoins. Ah, oh, one million rands, yeah, it's, it's money, but not a lot of money, it's, but it's still money. But and then let's say one Bitcoin, which will be for sure, one day become 10 million rands. Now, the government knows that you have 20 million worth it and Bitcoin. But say, let's say the government is good. Everybody that is, is there, okay, let's say in the government in South Africa, probably they have the people that have access to that database. Let's say, let's say 3,000 government employees. Are you telling me on those 3,000 employees, knowing that crypto is a, such a rare uh, uh, asset and it's so expensive, on those 3,000 employees, not a single one of them, we're going to get the database from SARS and we're not going to sell that database in the market. And you have someone in your house playing a nice game with you. And the game will be, let's say, who pressed the trigger first? Are you going to press the trigger to send your two Bitcoins to my wallet on a country college uh, whatever Kistan or something like that, or are you, or I'm pressing my trigger here. Let's say which one is going to press the trigger first. For sure, you're going to transfer your cryptos to him. You see how danger is when you share that information? One Bitcoin, two Bitcoins today is not a lot of money. And then if you just look to the past, if you say you got a thousand Bitcoins on 2010, which is worth nothing, 1000 Bitcoins today is 500 million rands. Are you sure you want the SARS to have that information on their database? And are you sleeping well with that? I don't think so. So that's why I am against those things to protect us at all cost and at the stratum. As long as I'm still the CEO of this company, I will never share any information with any authority, no matter what. If the authorities don't want to do their job, it's their problem, not mine. Final question, and, and if you can just give me a very brief answer. How did you get into cryptos? Well, it was a by mistake. <laughs> it was a by accident. One of my employees in South Africa, one guy, one day he was begging to pay his bill because it was um, overdue already, and it was passed, and it was about 1,000 Bitcoins, and that was in 2013. And uh, he begged me for two months to pay that. And I was saying, listen, those, that kind of money is not money. But if you don't want to pay me with gold, with, uh, uh, with diamonds, pay me with something, then pay me with Bilton, not with that coin, right? That was my first answer to the guy. 
But and then after, like, the guy was, like, begging and says, you know what, let me get this thing so this guy going to stop to bug me. And then a couple of months later, I got a phone call saying, why don't you check out uh, the Bitcoin price? And I was in Hong Kong and I checked it. I went in Tokyo to speak to the guys from Mt. Gox. And when I saw the price, I go, okay, how $180,000 became $1.2 million within seven months? Something must be wrong here. So then, then I start to study. Then I moved back to Brazil because I realized that we could mine Bitcoin. And we had here next to Brazil a hydraulic power plant. And that hydraulic power plant, um, we, because mining, we need a lot of energy and a lot of electricity. And then we have one here. Uh, the electricity was cheap. And then we, I, then I decided to do that. So then since 2014, when I started mining, we've been developing things. We've been uh, generating new solutions. We've been working with crypto. And I completely left the telecom company. I hired someone to replace me. And then I brought, of course, Carmen with me because she was on the on the telecom. And I need someone that I could trust and could deliver what we we asking for. And she was the perfect for that position. And then, of course, then from that moment on, we come up with our wallet. We come up with uh, our exchange. The latest product that we have right now is our own crypto for the investor that does not know anything about crypto. He can just go there, buy one single crypto and is backed by 14 crypto, the best crypto in the market. All he needs to do is go to bluetoken.io and he will see how amazing we did that. And just to finish this, uh, this one, then you can ask questions if you want to. We create a crypto that is just for that, for the investors, for the people that they don't know what to do. They don't know what kind of crypto buy, and they, but they want to be part of it. So we create Blue. And right now, we are busy developing one algorithm that we're going to solve one of the biggest problems for the crypto sphere, for the crypto market, which is the volatility. The volatility is the biggest problem for any single person, for anyone to, that wants to invest on this. And they always like afraid to say, come on, how can I invest in a product that's 1 million rands one day for one Bitcoin? A few weeks later, it's a 600,000. They are afraid to invest on that. That problem is solved with Blue. We are busy right now solving that problem. Volatility. Uh, this year, we will fix that problem for Blue. So for sure, soon, anyone that buy Blue can go to sleep and sleep rich. You're going to wake up less rich, not poor anymore. We are solving and we are fixing the volatility price for the cryptocurrency as we speak right now. And Blue, Blue is going to be the first coin ever created with a stop loss built in on ETH protocol. That's something completely new on the entire market. Rochelle Lopez, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for that um, fascinating discussion, great insights, understanding a little bit about where you come from and the fact that you are holding your position very, very strongly on the sharing of information with authorities, with banks and so on. And your solution for that, I think, is understood and quite simple. Go to the banks. Don't come to us. We're going to leave it there. Thank you very much, Rochello. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, Go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.